This is the Frogcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Frogcast. TCU beats SMU 56-36. to We had amazing Hail Mary plays. We had some questions on defense where trick play after trick play seemed to trip us up. We had a beaming hot sun that came down on the east side of the stands. That and a whole lot more on this episode of the Frogcast. Well, with us tonight, we got Trey and Daniel and Jeremy and Jeff Mitchell, as always. And we're looking forward to digging into this game. Guys, how are you doing tonight? Doing well, doing well. Great. Awesome. Well, let's just go ahead and start with the only topic that Frog fans know how to – the only metric that we have of which to measure a game beyond wins or losses. Frogs put up 56 points. Defense, of course, gave up 36. We're going to dig into that in a little bit. But coming out of every game, everything seems to be measured by how did Kenny Hill play? Did we do well? Did he throw an interception? Did he throw too many touchdowns? Why can't he throw the ball down the field? I think it was uh, – Uh, 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 Dave Campbell's Texas football that said this whole season is going to rise or fall on Kenny Hill. He's the most important player in the state of Texas. I don't know about that, but I know that's what we talk about the most. So guys, let's just kind of shoot around the circle here real quick. Tell me, give me your grade on Kenny Hill's performance against SMU. What did he get right? What did he get wrong? Because man, I got a lot of pushback on our assessment of Kenny Hill last week. So Trey, let's go ahead and start with you. What did you see with Kenny Hill and how would you grade him? He was solid. I mean, you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while now, you'll know that I'm one of the most skeptical Kenny Hill people out there. You know, I'm probably a little bit harder on him than the rest of you guys are. But as far as this game goes, I mean, you had to say this is probably one of his better games he's played since he's been at TCU. Um, You know, 24-30. Four touchdowns, no interceptions. The one thing that always bothers me about him is the interceptions. Um, so it was nice to see you know him not throw interception in this one. Um, and yeah, um, you know, I'm still not like a huge fan of Kenny Hill, but I don't think there's many things you can be upset about with this one. Yeah, that big takeaway that there was no interceptions, that's the first game of of any consequence that I can remember where Kenny Hill didn't throw an interception. And he usually throws him at the worst possible times. And, you know, how do you, I don't know how you grade him any different than what you said, Trey. I, I kind of am in a uh, in agreement with you. Jeremy, what was your assessment of Hill yesterday? What did you see that he did right? And what are some of the things that are concerns? Because, man, you let, you kind of let the concerns roll last week. And I uh, you were on my mind this week. I was curious if you got any pushback and how you compare that now to the game after the game yesterday well I didn't really get any pushback because I think a lot of people kind of agreed I mean if they looked at Arkansas you can't really go back and think that he had a great game he did have some um, questionable plays in that game but against SMU I gave him an A you know I I did the report card today for the offensive defense and I gave Kenny an A because he went out there he he threw four touchdowns he didn't throw any interceptions uh, he made good throws on the day, guys. He, he he made some of those throws that were right on the money. A big third and ten the, that he hit Jalen Rager for 18 yards on was an absolute dart. Um, he made some good decisions uh, running away from some pressure. He found Kennedy Snell, which Kennedy Snell took that down for 71 yards for a touchdown. Made a good play off a rush, finding uh, Turpin for another score. 
The only thing I would say that he didn't do really well at was just taking off and running. I think what he's doing is he's he's trying to give himself time. He's doing a good job keeping his eyes downfield. Um, but there was a couple occasions where I thought he maybe should have just t- taken off and, and, and ran and got a few extra yards instead of taking the sack because the line was doing a good job protecting him for the most part, but he just really held on to the ball too long. But overall, I would give him an A. Like Trey said, I think that was one of his better games at TCU. The most important thing, didn't turn the ball over. Um, and really, 24 of 30, and he had four drops. I mean, uh, Dylan Thomas had two. Des White had one. And Cavante Turpin had the one on the uh, on the swing pass that got caught, you know, that resulted in a fumble. So overall, I mean, those guys catch those passes. He's only the ball is only hitting the ground twice. So if you just go back and watch the game again, like I did today, he really did throw the ball well. Wasn't any really questionable passes where you thought, man, he got away with one on that one. Overall, good day for Kenny. I, I felt proud for him. Yeah, I was glad to see him have a good day in front of the crowd, and I, I, I'm in a, I'm in agreement with your assessment as well, Daniel. You got anything that uh, kind of counters what they said, or are you in agreement with where everybody's at on Kenny Hill? Well, now that I'm uh, home and able to watch it on TV and know the the outcome of the game, uh, I was able to uh, calmly assess what I saw at the game. Not so much. Everyone was frustrated as hell. Uh, no matter what was happening, turns out it's like he's it's like the best game he's he's thrown or had, and um, it did seem like the the sky was falling from where we were, just me and the crowd around me. We were all just you know pulling our hair out, and uh, you know ended up winning by twenty. So uh, it just felt like nothing was going right. But no, Kenny did a fantastic job, um, even hauling it back down the field to uh, assist in a tackle on that, um, what was it, the Turpin drop? Yeah. And, yeah, that uh, was the So, play. yeah, I, yeah. That, uh, that to me um, shows, you know, how much he's into it and, and, and the effort he put forward. But he threw some excellent balls. Um, four of those were dropped. That's not on him. And uh, I, I was really impressed. I'm, I'm back on the bandwagon. Last week I was like, you know, if we're going to have freshman mistakes – Let's just, you know, let the freshman do it some or something like that. But, uh, no, no, I'm back on the Kenny Hill bandwagon. He did fantastic, and it it was really good to see. I will say on that pass uh, to Snell, everyone's really talked about Kenny the last two years where he locks in on a receiver, and he's going to throw to that receiver regardless if he's open or not. And that's one thing in that play to Snell where he really just – scan the field his his first second maybe even third option wasn't open and he everyone can see kennedy's open on the left i mean everyone saw it but it was it was refreshing to see kenny finally see go through his progressions and see kennedy snell wide open now there was a play earlier in the game that he didn't do so good on when sean nixon was so wide open and then then you started hearing the boo birds and that's probably what daniel's talking about where everyone was really frustrated if you go back and you can hear it when you're at the game, and then you go back and watch it on TV. You can really hear the the frustration from the fans, knowing how wide open Sean Nixon was. But yeah, you can't you can't really fault anything uh, wrong with Kenny uh, too much. Yesterday, he he really did play a good game. Yeah, I agree with that, Trey. I just got one question for you here. Then, if you think about you know the games that, that Kenny Hill has started here at TCU. And I know it's SMU. Is this the best performance he's put up as a frog? 
Yeah, I mean, that's what I was saying. I think so. I mean, if you look back, he's had a few um, good games where, um, you know, he's put up good numbers and thrown for a lot of touchdowns, had a lot of rushing yards, whatever it might be. But I think when you look at the stat line, like uh, like has been mentioned, you know, there was a few drops. He's 24-30. You know, you consider those drops. He's, what, you know, 26-27 of 30, so almost perfect. Um, 97.9 QBR. Can't really get much better than that. And like I said, my thing is no interceptions, you know. Um, there was the one uh you know backwards lateral pass that was um not really his fault you know i mean i don't know necessarily how that entire play is drawn up but um i think you know turpin has got to catch that or you know whatever so it's not really kenny's fault on that one and no interceptions and so yeah i mean you have to be pretty happy with kenny hill and i think i saw earlier today that uh Mark Cohen tweeted out that Kenny is now like throwing around like seven, completing 75% of passes this season. So it's pretty good, man. Um, you know, you can't really complain too much. Um, we'll see though. I mean, there's a big test looming here in the, this week and in the future. So we'll see. But so far, um, yeah, this I, I, it's hard to say, but I think this is definitely, you know, top two or three for sure games that he's had since he's been a frog. Yeah, I loved seeing what he could do on the field, and I thought his attitude and kind of the, the body language of which he projected was was, was top, top notch as well. I think those are things that kind of go hand in hand with Kenny Hill and the way he carries himself, which is fine. But he was on, and he, he led the team, and I was, I was glad to see that. I was glad for him to have that moment. I guess as, as a student athlete, I'm glad he had that moment. Well, there's other guys on the team, of course, other than Kenny Hill. We've kind of referenced this. guy that I've had my eye on all offseason who's, who's really had a breakout performance is, is Darius Anderson. Jeremy, what would you assess of Anderson in terms of his performance in the backfield? And uh, unfortunately, we're going to see a whole lot more of him over the next week or two because of Kyle Hicks. Tell us a little about Anderson and then uh, – uh, kind of share a little bit of what you can about Kyle Hicks' situation. Yeah, I think Anderson just it, we're just beginning to see what he's going to be able to accomplish at TCU. Um, he was 190 last year. He put on about 10 pounds. He's 200 pounds now, and the added muscle has really helped him. He's become stronger. Uh, he's he looks like he's faster. I mean, the guy does have he does not have any hesitation whatsoever when he's trying to find uh, an opening. Uh, the line's been doing a great job blocking for all the running backs, but. When Darius is back there running the football, it just seems like he's he's getting to the hole so fast that by the time the defense has a chance to tackle him, he's already three or four yards downfield. If you look at a stat line from last night, <clears throat> excuse me, he had 89 yards. That was 89 net yards. He he does not have any lost yardage with 14 carries. So that's a big that's a big thing for a running back. Anytime you can have uh no loss of yardage running the football, that that shows that your running back is hitting the seams pretty good and and trying to get extra yardage when he can. But man, that 38-yard touchdown run he had, it he looked like he was shot out of a cannon. I mean, that thing uh, that play was just so fast. There's so much speed on this offense between him and Snell and Turpin and Rager. I mean, you just have so many different weapons you could choose from. But when you got a guy like that that's running the football as well as he is, he's got over 200 yards the last two weeks. He's probably going to end up with a thousand yards. If if we don't watch out, this kid might end up with between 800 and thousand yards. And and if Kyle Hicks is going to be out for long extended period of time, then 
you might see Darius Anderson get more and more carries. I mean, he's going to have to carry the load next week. Gary Patterson, after the game last night, said that Kyle Hicks is likely going to be out. I don't want to uh, speculate too much, but it looks like they took his helmet away late in the game and wouldn't let it let him have it. And typically when that's the case, it's it's something to do with the head. So, I, like, again, I don't want to speculate on anything without them saying anything yet, but if, if it's something like that, it, you can guarantee it's going to be – uh, head head related and uh, possibly a concussion and if it is that then by protocol you got to at least wait a week for him to get back out there but good thing is they got Darius Anderson and they got Shaywo so the running game is still looking pretty good and Kennedy Snell who's you know just making play after play yeah, Anderson is, 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 I think, the crown jewel of that recruiting class. And when you see what he's able to produce immediately, you know, one of the funny things I remember from following recruiting is we wanted Kyle Porter pretty bad. And he ended up out of Katie and he ended up going to Texas. And I wouldn't trade Darius Anderson for Kyle Porter right now for anything, even if it had three draft picks to be named later. I mean, Darius Anderson is is a contributor. Like you said, he might run for 800 yards regardless of how many games Hicks misses. And I, I, I'm excited about what he's doing on this side of the ball this year as well as for the next two years. Well, I want to talk about the play that happened right at the end of the first half. I got For those of you that have kids, you'll have uh, some uh, empathy for this. But I'm home alone with my three-year-old, and he is. I was able to kind of contain him for the whole first half. And then with about a minute left in the half, I thought the game I – mean, we were just going to basically take a knee and go go to the, the locker room. And he's just – my son is just losing his marbles, and he wants to go outside and jump on the trampoline. So I grab my phone, take him outside, and jump on the trampoline thinking I'm not going to miss anything. And then about 10 minutes later, I pull up my phone and realize I missed the play of the game in terms of sports center highlights. Trey, I know you got kids. Hopefully you didn't miss the play jumping on a trampoline. But uh, what, what was it like being able to see that play? How did you see it unfold? And where do you kind of place that in terms of what Rager's able to bring to the table? Yeah, no. Fortunately, I was able to uh, see it. No trampoline jumping going on here. But um yeah, awesome play, obviously. Yeah, play of the game. I think it really got uh, the momentum shifted back to TCU going in a half. Um, it really kind of got things going back in the right direction because it was, you know, really shaky early on. But, um, you know, I saw um, the picture on Twitter. You changed your Twitter, like, profile picture to that play. And it's amazing to see how much higher Rager is than everybody else. And obviously, you know, he has a background in, I believe, is it long jump um, from high school, but um, he just completely out jumps everybody on that. And, you know, you don't really, you know, 99 times out of a hundred on Hail Marys, they just either fall to the ground or get intercepted, you know, like they typically never work. So it was, awesome to see it work out and like I was saying I think that really you know shifted the momentum back into TCU's favor and got things going in the right way uh I love you know Rager and Snell I think both of those guys are going to be stars for TCU for years to come they both bring excitement they both you know have good hands um very athletic and both very fun to watch and I think that's just kind of one of many uh, highlight-esque catches we'll see from him in his TCU career. Did you see him truck the uh, referee? <laughs> yeah, I feel like the referee was in the way all damn day. Like, get out of the way, man. 
Hey, I know Jeremiah was mad on that play because everyone was up in the press box cracking up. Jeremiah's the only one not laughing. He's saying, well, that's going to prevent a score. He didn't score because of that ref was in the way. So it was pretty funny to see. Yeah. He didn't see the other two defensive backs waiting, but that, that was a fun play to see. I uh, know. I love that. He, I think Rager kind of put his arm up to go, and then he realized it was the official. <laughs> I think he didn't want to just completely truck him. But man, you get in the way of that guy trying to find the trying to take it to the house. I would not want to be between be uh, be stand between Jalen Rager in the end zone. That sounds like a painful place to be. <laughs> hey, to go back oh, with uh, Rager's uh, track background, he he long jumped twenty six feet, and then I think he high jumped six six. So. That's a good reason why he can get up so so high above uh, those defensive backs. I mean, for a guy five eleven and jumping that high, man, that's incredible. That picture of people are just passing around. It's amazing how much higher he is than everyone else. Now, a few of those guys from SMU were just standing there. It looked like they didn't uh, try to jump at all. <laughs> no, for sure, I, I agree with that. There, yeah, there's a lot that are flat footed there, but that's also, I mean. He it speaks to the timing. It was great timing on that play. Obviously, great hands. You know, hard to pull one down in traffic like that, no matter what. And uh, but yeah, that picture is freaking. That's a cool picture. You know, he's that gonna is, be. That is a great picture. He's gonna be. He's gonna be trying to let people or make people forget about that drop in Arkansas last week for the rest of the season. So I'm sure we're gonna see more highlight reels coming out of, uh, like Trey said, coming out uh, from Jalen uh, before uh, the last nine games we have that's going to be fun to watch him i'm all for it i'm all for it do everything you can to convince us that that play didn't happen where he dropped the ball <laughs> flipping over to the to you know the wideouts daniel when you think about our wide receiver performance i know we had a couple of drops that we weren't happy about i don't know that swing pass didn't unfold the way we wanted but kind of how would you assess and grade our wide wide receiver performance this game i'd say they overall they did pretty well it, it Part of the frustration with what we had, like when people, the crowd was almost booing Kenny and um, like, you know, the Turpin thing, it was really just a, a culmination of, of, you know, uh, the defensive kind of struggles. So we were uh, and, and the offensive. So we were mad at everything. Um, so at the time, yeah, we didn't feel like anyone was doing anything worth a crap. But uh, watching back today, um, I was actually, you know, pretty, uh, pretty happy. Um that low pass that Sean Nixon caught for a touchdown was an, a really good catch. And I never would have thought that would have been uh, turned into a touchdown. I figured he would skid off the ground or he just wouldn't be able to haul it in. So I, I, I was, you know, looking back today, definitely pleased with, uh, with the way things went. Yeah, they had a couple drops, but um, that was a wild game. And that's something about SMU that I just I, drives me nuts that, Nothing seems to go right, and it's just really frustrating. So um, I'm going to give him a little pass on that. No pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. No pun intended. Uh, Jeremy, you were sitting in the press conference, uh, able to spend some time with Patterson there uh, with the rest of the, of the folks. He Did he really mention that we should have scored 80 points in this game? Yeah. I mean, he was uh... – he was kind of upset at the offense, to be honest with you, because he knows they had some opportunities to score. They had uh, three fumbles. They had Terps fumble on the drop pass. They had the fumble on the uh, field goal attempt. And then they had the, the fumble where uh, Morris snapped the ball to uh, Jalen Rager as he was going in motion. And, uh, you know, if you look at that, I mean, those 
the Frogs were doing anything they wanted to on offense, and we all knew that coming into the game that SMU's defense was really suspect. And so you have 619 yards, you have three turnovers. They could have scored 80. I mean, he – he looked he, – he was not joking when he made that statement. He did not have the Gary Patterson smirk on his face. He said, we we should have scored 80. I think some of that has to do with kind of deflecting some of the attention off of the defense because he knows the defense didn't play well, and he, he called them out just as much when he said they taught them those trick plays they run early in the game. He said he taught them that all week, and even the defensive players that were, that were in the uh, – press conference following the following coach P said the same thing. Yeah. He showed us. We just, we just didn't react the way we should have, but yeah, the, uh, the offense, that statement was definitely made by Gary Patterson, 80 points. Well, it says a lot about Cumby and what he's been able to do this year, that 56 points is not, uh, not acceptable. And I, you know, we think about it. He's right. I mean, we should have had a couple more touchdowns and maybe we should have had 80 points. I, I, I remember last time we scored 80 points against everyone's favorite team from out West. So I would not have been bothered if we'd have hung 80 on SMU. All right, let's flip over to the other side of the ball. We want to talk about what the defense got wrong and what the defense got right. So since we're just kind of a fountain of positivity, let's start with what the defense got right. Jeremy, what did you see on the defensive side of the ball that at least gave you some hope going into the Oklahoma State game, which we'll get to in a minute? But what did we get right yesterday with the Frogs on the defensive side? Sorry, guys, I lost you for a second. Uh, the defense, as far as what they did right, I think the uh, the biggest thing they did right on the afternoon was the red zone defense. SMU had four opportunities to go in and score touchdowns inside the red zone, but they only came away with one touchdown and TCU forced them to kick field goals. So anytime you can make a high octane offense, kick field goals, you're going to do well. Um, especially going forward into big 12 play where they're going to face offenses like this week in and week out. But uh, that was one of the big things. And the other thing that I was uh, impressed with was the fact that they held Ben Hicks to basically under 50% completing 50% of his passes. When everyone goes back and, and, and remembers the game, they're going to think Ben Hicks threw for 450 yards and completed 90% of his passes. But in, in all aspects, the secondary did pretty good. They gave up some big plays. But if you take away the 58-yard completion uh, early in the game and take away that 61-yard completion late in the game, Ben Hicks throws for 160, 170 yards top. So, uh of course, you're worried about giving up the big play, but there are some positives that uh, you can you can find in that defensive game. But it, they they've definitely got to fix it going up to Oklahoma State next week when they're going to face arguably one of the top quarterbacks in the country. Yeah, there were some shining moments, especially in the red zone, but there were some gaping holes. Trey, what did you see on the defensive side of the ball that made you want to pull your hair out, yell, cuss, all of the above? Well, I mean, obviously, the beginning of the game wasn't very good. You got the trick plays, which, as Jeremy just alluded to, that, you know, Coach Patterson tried to get the defense ready for those plays. Um, and so that's a little disappointing that they, you know, weren't aware and saw those develop and were able to defend them like they should have. Um, I think another, you know, thing that is a little bit concerning is that Ben Hicks threw for 305 yards. Um, you know, he, 
had two touchdowns, two interceptions, so it wasn't like he was amazing. But when I think of, you know, next week, uh, Oklahoma State, if we give up 305 to SMU, who, you know, their offense isn't terrible, but at the same time, um, you know, they're not Oklahoma State. So you, you give up 305 to, you know, an average offense. What can a really high-powered offense do against this defense? Um on the flip side, you know, I try not to be too negative because I think, um, you know, SMU gets really fired up for this game. I'm not sure how fired up TCU gets for it. Um, so I think there's, you know, maybe a little bit of difference there. Um, so I think overall, um, you know, they played pretty good, but giving up the trick plays, um, you know they're gonna. You know they started off slow. They're they're not gonna be able to start off slow next week against Oklahoma State. They're gonna have to be ready from the get go, or it could get ugly real quick. Um, so I think that's that's the biggest thing is they're gonna. You know can't start slow. Um, Got to be you know more aware, more prepared. Um, listen to your coaches, but uh, you know once they settled in, um, you know they only gave up 14 points in the second half, which is. Uh, good to see you know made those adjustments um but yeah they just they've got to be ready from the first snap next week yeah if we if we come out next week like we did yesterday our sme or oklahoma state's going to run all over us so you know being able to cut and shut down uh courtland sutton i thought was kind of a, a good precursor for having to deal with james washington now, I know that Oklahoma State's got so many more weapons than, than SMU does, but we can't get beat by James Washington. We get, didn't get beat by Sutton yesterday. So I thought that that was, um, I thought that was good for the defense to be able to be in that position to contain him. You know, the thing yeah, about that good. is, Jeff, I'm oh, sorry, Trey, go ahead. No, I was going to say, that's one thing I, w- I meant to mention, but uh, yeah, shutting down Sutton, who a lot of people, you know, think has NFL uh aspirations NFL skill set um to you know limit him to uh what one reception that was um really good to see yeah I was I was impressed with them it was another thing I was impressed with the defense that they shut shut down Sutton but one thing I want to you know advise of is even though they shut down Sutton they still had another receiver step up big time Trey Quinn had over 115 yards receiving. James Prochet had 93. So they almost had two 100-yard receivers. And last year, even when TCU did do a good job covering James Washington, they held him to four catches for 27 yards. He had Chris Lacey go crazy. So the defense has got to focus once they get more into Big 12 play where you face these teams that have not just one good receiver but maybe two and three good receivers the other guys on the defense have got to step up at some point and be able to cover these second, third best receivers and not let them have big games like we're already seeing from SMU from from yesterday. So uh, that's one thing moving forward to Oklahoma State. They've they've got to take care of. They can't put every bit of focus on James Washington because Oklahoma State has got some very very talented receivers. Yeah, to wrap this up, as, as we're getting ready to dig into Oklahoma State, as we already kind of are, I want to I want to I want to reference two things from yesterday. Tra- or Daniel, I want to start with you. How hot was it on the field? I obviously wasn't at the stadium. 
the east side of the stadium looks so empty. But, you know, how hot was it? We put all this energy into a whiteout. You know, we wore our basically visiting uniforms. We told everybody to go up to Dick's Sporting Goods and Academy and buy a, another T-shirt that's white that says TCU. How miserable was the game day experience when it's so dang hot? And is that compounded when you're playing a team that we don't really care about, but this is their Super Bowl? I went to Academy, Academy and bought a very nice white polo. I just want to make that clear. Um <laughs> I did. I went up them that morning. <laughs> I tried to find a Columbia PFG, but they only they didn't have a size big enough because I'm fat. So anyway, uh, <laughs> it wasn't too bad. But I was in the shade. I can imagine the east side being an oven like it often is, or a broiler, or whatever. And uh, I, the concourse uh, on the west side where I stayed, um, yeah, it started getting crowded uh, as the time went on. Uh, because I, I'm guessing it was pretty darn warm. Um, now, as far as the whiteout, I think it was awesome. I think um, a lot more people are into the color blocking um, when it's simple, like a whiteout or a blackout. Um, you know, trying to alternate sections or whatever, that's, that was never going to work, and that was silly. I think it was cool that the uniforms finally matched the fans' attire. I think it was always you know, like black uniforms when it was a whiteout or something. And then the end zones being painted white with the purple uh, lettering. That was cool. Um, I thought it was, I thought it was good. It's fun. You know, we do one whiteout, one blackout, and that's plenty. The rest of the time, just wear your purple. And uh, it was, it was fine. I, I didn't get too hot, but I was in the shade on the West side and it was a nice breeze. So I thought I saw you at the club level drinking a couple brews. <laughs> I am not. I am far too poor for that. <laughs> the pie industry does not produce your ability to be a major donor. <laughs> not even. Well, the thing I keep wondering about is 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 SMU. I know we talked about it last week. Uh, your your good friend Trey Mac Engel. I know you guys are good buddies. He had referenced that you know this game needs to stop being played. I I kind of bounce back and forth. I'm I'm now on the stop playing SMU train. Where are you at, Trey? I know you got some hot sports takes on this. <laughs> Man, I, I you know I'm like you. I think um, something needs to be done, some or adjusted at the very least. Um, maybe go to playing SMU once or twice every, you know five years or something split it up not not do it every year or um maybe turn it into a two for one i don't think they should get a one for one every year based on the way they've played it's just it's not like i was saying earlier i don't you know it seems like every year smu is this is their super bowl they're hyped for this game whereas tcu comes in and typically wins um but usually there's some like rocky you know tcu fans get nervous you know during different parts of the games but it's just it just doesn't have that rivalry feel like you get from a lot of the other rivalries you know across the country and i I think it's time to you know switch it up a little bit either my my opinion is Stop the SMU series and schedule somebody that is a little bit better, a a better name, something like that. Or keep SMU and drop those body bag games like 
Jackson State and Grambling and whatever it might be. Like those games drive me crazy. And I'll I'll be one hundred percent complete honest. I have season tickets and I didn't go to the Jackson State game because I, I hate those games. Like I don't know if everybody else feels the same way, but like winning sixty to nothing does nothing for me as a fan. Like I hate them. I would rather just watch it on TV and you know once it's forty to nothing, I can casually pay attention and, and flip to other games and watch other things and whatever it might be. But I legitimately hate those games i don't think you get anything out of them i i would rather be tested and play either a good team and lose or play you know another decent power five team i don't know man i just i hate that game so i think one of those two things needs to go I think a big difference would be, and you know, it's not just FCS. South Dakota State was FCS, and they nearly pulled that one off. The problem is the likes of Jackson State. So I don't have a problem against FCS per se. It's just Jackson State, Grambling, things like that. If we're going to play the top teams from the FCS, I don't mind. Um, or, but. I, I, I'm tired of SMU because they get they, they you know they plan for that game since the spring, and it's the biggest thing they do. It's one of the less lesser concerns on TCU's schedule. They got to worry about uh, well Oklahoma State and Arkansas and everything else. So we you know and they come in with all these trick plays and crap and, and they just they drive me nuts and I hate the traffic trying to go over there. I've just decided that uh, to hell with them. You know, I'm kind of on the flip side of that. I, I, I would like to drop SMU, so I agree with that on everybody. I want to drop SMU, but I want to continue to play that that Arkansas game. You know, we've got Ohio State, obviously, which we could get into down the road, where we always have a Power 5 team, a stretch game is what Patterson calls it. And then I would rather just have two home gang of five games. You know, we don't have to play Jackson State. I agree with you. That's a worthless game. But just get a team from the Sun Belt. You know, play play Louisiana Tech that runs the spread and that we can kind of prepare for against lesser athletes to get ready for Big 12 game. And then, so you always have two home games. And sometimes when you got Arkansas at home, like last year, we would have had three home games on top of what we have with conference play. This is what the biggest of the big boys do is they always just stack up every game that's non-conference at home except for you know, if they got a home and home with a power five or one of those neutral site games. So I would love to have Louisiana tech and San Diego state come here and do a one -er and, and and we give them a paycheck and that's how it works, but we get two home games. And then every other year you get three non-conference home games on top of what we have. Cause like this year, man, the schedule breaks against us so bad in terms of the way that the, the calendar flows. We're going, you know, to both the Oklahoma schools, we're going to tech, we're going to Manhattan, we're going to Iowa state. And then we had to go to Arkansas. Some years we should have eight home games. And I would love to see that as, as a frog fan, or maybe we can have, you know, seven home games and six home games the next year but that's the or eight home games the other year I would love to see that but that's just that's just my opinion I know I know nobody gets excited about games we're going to win but I think we can we can schedule around that in a way that's a little more appealing Ch uh, Jeremy you got any other thoughts on on SMU playing them going forward or scheduling arrangement before we go straight into Oklahoma State I'm just uh, I'm just of the opinion as long as SMU's relevant then I think you should play them um it is always their Super Bowl when they play TCU, but 
it is a crosstown rival. It's it's got a lot of history behind it. Uh, I may have a different opinion once Chad Morris leaves to go to another program, but uh, right now I, I, I like I like the I like the game. Um, I wouldn't mind them playing uh, someone like you mentioned, Louisiana Tech or one of those Louisiana schools or um, New Mexico, some someone out of the old Mountain West. I wouldn't mind seeing one of those games come back to non-conference for TCU. But uh, yeah, I'm just kind of I'm kind of on the fence. I really don't have an opinion one way or another. I, I I'm not against them playing SMU, and I'm not really for them playing SMU. It's just the game on the schedule to me. Yeah, I think it might change with Chad Morris if if he heads off, but it's always an annoying game. I mean, I even still remember the 2011 game where Patterson kind of went to the podium and said, I'm never going to help SMU out again. He was so mad at June Jones, but that's just kind of how it goes, and it's on the calendar, and I don't think it's going anywhere. The people higher ups, they, they want to play SMU. SMU wants to play us, and that's kind of all that matters. So unless we vote with our feet that we don't want to play SMU, I think we're going to continue to see them. So... Well, let's go ahead and switch gears here. The Frogs are going to Oklahoma State this Saturday. For some wondrous reason, game day is in Times Square rather than in Stillwater. But the Frogs are going on the road to play the number six team in the country, the Oklahoma State Cowboys. I don't even know what to think of this game because if the team that showed up at Arkansas shows up, I don't see any reason why we can't win a shootout with them and make some key stops to, to, to win that game. I also have fear that, you know, I've seen I've seen the frogs at nine and a half to eleven and a half point underdogs that if, if Mason Rudolph gets going and James White takes off, that we could lose by fourteen, eighteen points. I would I would not take that as a something off the table that's in the realm of possibility. So, you know, this is one of those games that's really gonna be the final measure final measuring stick on the first third of the season on what the frogs are gonna be able to accomplish. Let's just start with you, Jeremy. What what is what do you think is going to take for us to beat Oklahoma State? Let's just kind of center on that. What do the Frogs have to do to beat the Cowboys? Okay, let's go ahead here and switch gears. Daniel, what do you think, buddy? What are we going to need for the Frogs to beat the Cowboys? I'm a man. I'm 40. <laughs> we're gonna have That's to take great. care of that yeah yeah <laughs> uh, it's gonna be tough um no uh i i watching um after coming out of arkansas i felt really good playing against or watching the smu game now i feel not so good in fact i feel pretty crappy about it because um they're good they're very good and it's in Stillwater. that's an annoying place to play uh, never won there, I believe. And in fact, we've only beaten Oklahoma State once uh, since joining the Big 12. Uh, Mason Rudolph looks good. Uh, everybody, the, you know, the key players, James Washington and such, they all look good. I was watching them uh, some yesterday early before I headed out to the stadium. And, um, yeah, that's it's worrisome. Uh, I think they could uh, beat the pants off of, uh, of the Frogs. But at the same time, they may step up for Oklahoma State the way SMU stepped up for TCU. So um, we'll see. I, I know this. I didn't put any money on this game because I have no idea which way it's going to go. That's a good thing, Daniel. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm having technical difficulties tonight. Um, I, Jeff, I know you asked me the question what I think, and, and it's kind of what I said earlier. Yeah, go that, ahead. They've really got, they've really got to um, 
just go up there with a different mentality. I mean, they've they've every time they've gone to Stillwater, they've just really really struggled. Uh, last year in Fort Worth, they they were only down at halftime, ten to six. Uh, but Mason Rudolph is man, he is just such a good quarterback. He's a guy that gets rid of the ball quick. If Frog fans were frustrated with how fast Ben Hicks was getting rid of the ball. I mean, just wait until you see Mason Rudolph. The guy does not take sacks. The good thing is he's not as elusive as Ben Hicks is, but he's got weapons galore. James Washington, Chris Lacey, Justice Hill. Uh, he's He's got many weapons at his disposal. If, if, if they give him any kind of time, if they don't get a good – uh, rush off the defensive line from from Banigou or from Ty Summers. Matt Bolson's not going to play in the first half. He got ejected from the uh, SMU game, so he has to sit out the first half against Oklahoma State. But if they can't get any kind of semblance of a pass rush, pass rush, it's going to be a long night for the Frogs secondary. Uh, I'm kind of nervous about this game right now. I'm not predicting TCU to win this game at all because. I've seen what Oklahoma State's able to accomplish on offense, and I've seen what uh, what TCU can give up on defense. So it's it's going to be a a wild game. Two uh, very good teams. Oklahoma State's number six now. TCU moved up to number sixteen. It's going to be a, a great environment. I'm really glad this game's not played at night, though. I, I really I really am glad uh, for TCU's sake that they're not going to walk into a just a, a bee a beehive of a atmosphere and uh, have to play at night over there in Stillwater. But playing playing in, in the day, it's going to be a little bit, maybe a little bit more calm, but it's tough to play in Stillwater. And as Daniel said already, TCU is not one up there, and uh, they've only beat Oklahoma State one time since joining the Big 12. The Oklahoma, Oklahoma State is really the one team, along with Oklahoma, that really has TCU's number since they've joined the Big 12. Trey, I remember this game last year was kind of our pinnacle of frustration. How do you feel about us going into the game this season? Yeah, I mean, I think I feel like everybody else kind of does a little um, worried, a little, you know, up in the air, not quite sure what to expect. I think, you know, one thing that I harp on is – you know, turnovers last year, Kenny Hill had two interceptions the year before that, uh, Trevon Boykin had four interceptions. So they're obviously not going to be able to turn the ball over. They need to go up there, uh, protect the ball. I, I, I wouldn't be opposed to maybe working in some of the game plan we saw against Arkansas, you know, run the ball, try to keep their offense off the field a little bit. Um, you, you still, you're going to need to score points though. So you can't be maybe as conservative as they were against Arkansas. Um, but I think you also look at, yes, I think Oklahoma state's offense is one of the best in the country. I think Rudolph, uh, at the end of the year, is probably going to be it at the Heisman, you know, ceremony. I don't know if he's going to win it, but I think he's going to be right there. Um, but when you look at, you know, their defense, they played Tulsa earlier this year, gave up 432 yards. Um, you know, they blew out Pittsburgh, but still gave up 390 yards. So I think there is some opportunities for the TCU offense to, you know, get some yards score some points. Um, but I think I'm with Jeremy. I don't know if I can predict a TCU win in this one. Um, I, I think it's going to be closer than, you know, some of the previous matchups have been because honestly, they really haven't been too close, but, uh, I think this one's going to be close. Um, 
I, I, it's hard for me to say that I think that TCU is going to win that. I just Oklahoma State looks really strong this year. Yeah, they blew the doors off of Pittsburgh and could have scored 75 or 80 points without batting an eye. I mean, they Pat Marduzzi, I know that they're kind of rebuilding a little bit this year off of last season, but my gosh, they just annihilated Pitt. Annihilated Pitt. Yeah, and I mean, they had four different receivers over 100 yards. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I was I watched a lot of that game. Um and yeah, you're right. I mean, they could have they could have scored eighty, ninety easily if they really kept the the pedal down and and put it on them. They were they were hitting on all cylinders. Yeah. Well, I don't I don't even know how to predict this game because, as everybody has said, it, you know it's a it's a tough place to play. We've never won in Stillwater since we won the Big Twelve or since we joined the Big Twelve. Mike Gundy is one is four and one against Gary Patterson. I mean, he's just I'm a man. He's, I'm forty. This is correct. He is a man, and he is 40, and uh, my gosh, that's just been difficult. That has just been difficult to, to win in Oklahoma State. Well, let's he's go ahead and uh, – now. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, he I'm is He's 50 actually 50, now. yeah. <laughs> we, you need to cut a drop that says, I'm a man, I'm 50. <laughs> uh, you know what? I saw something when I was, when I was uh, downloading that to play it. There was another one where he wanted to do that to – Go, not not necessarily go on a rant, but just have some kind of press conference where, where he says, I'm a man, I'm 50 or something like that. But uh, now he claims that's the best thing to ever happen to Oklahoma State, and that's pretty funny. Yeah. You know, he's his winning percentage since then is something ridiculous. I've seen it posted, but yeah, it really did kind of, kind of turn the corner for their program 10 years ago. Guys, let's hop around the rest of the Big 12 here real quick. Uh, Trey, what, what did you think about the Texas-USC game? You know, I, I, I'll give Texas props. Um, their defense played really well. Offense is still, um, I don't know, just not very good, I don't think. Um, average. Um, I think, you know, they'll, can, they'll probably show um, some – you know, improvements throughout the rest of the year. I, I think they're going to be, I think they will be better with Herman than they were with Charlie strong. And I think we will see improvements, um, from, from week to week, at least, you know, how it's kind of gone so far. I, 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 it's funny to me though. I feel like I've seen a lot of Texas fans really pushing kind of that moral victory that, you know, they hung in with the number four team and they only lost by three and all of that, which is kind of funny coming from a fan base like Texas. Um, so, you know, it's kind of weird to go from one of the top dogs in the sport to moral victories against USC, who I think is a little overrated. Um, you know, had to t take t a pretty average Texas team to double overtime. You know, everybody was really excited about their win over Stanford last week, and Stanford turns around and loses to San Diego State. So, how good is USC really? Um, you know, that's, you know, time will tell on them. But I do think, you know, I don't know how deserving they are of that, you know, number four rating or whatever they move up to now. But uh, one. One Big 12 team that I think 
I was disappointed in and thought looked really mediocre, and they were, in my opinion, overrated, was Kansas State. I watched uh, a lot of that game against Vandy. Um because that was another one of those games that I was hoping – I was watching, kind of flipping between that one. I was going between a lot of games with that one, and then I wanted to see Tech against Arizona State because, you know, obviously you want – I'm not one of those, oh, Big 12, let's hype the conference up type guys, but I did want to see, you know, the Big 12 win those two games. Tech took care of business, but I thought Kansas, Kansas State looked extremely mediocre. I think it's extremely disappointing that they were only able to score seven points against Vandy. Uh, I know they were on the road, but uh, I, I, I honestly am kind of shocked that they were ranked that high. And I, I haven't watched a lot of Kansas State this season because their first, you know, two games I don't think were first anybody really with a pulse. But this one, I was, I was really, really disappointed in how Kansas State looked. And coming into this season, I wasn't sure how TC was going to, you know, handle them. But if if that's how they're going to be, then I think TCU takes care of them easy, honestly. Good job, Big 12. <laughs> yeah, good, good job, job, Big 12. 12. Yeah, I'll, I'll admit I was disappointed in Kansas State as well. I figured they'd beat, they'd beat Vandy by a couple of touchdowns. I thought that they could win that game. And they just they just didn't do anything. Now Vanderbilt is probably a little underrated. I, I do like Derek Mason. I think he's a good defensive coach, and I know that some of those fundamentals of defense he really focuses on. But hey, you got to beat Vanderbilt. They you know I know it was on the road, but they said Kansas State took twenty thousand fans to Nashville, and their stadium only only seats thirty nine thousand. <laughs> so it was it was like a home game for them. But hey, you got to be able to win those games, Kansas State. Good job, Big Twelve. That's all I got to say is good job, Big Twelve. I want to go back to the USC game here. Is there any way USC is the number four or five team in the country? I don't think so. I think that no, no that's that's not a top five team. I, I picked Texas to win. I picked Texas to win in the offseason. I still stood by it going into the weekend. I figured te- Texas could win that game just because of Herman's track record. And one of the things I want to put my finger on in that game, if you watch, if you stayed up so late to watch it, Texas gets into overtime against USC. They're playing in front of all of those, you know, 92,000 people. They have the ball second in overtime, and they don't go for two. I love that Patterson goes for two in those spots because you got to steal it on the road. I, if I was Herman, I would have gone for two right there and just tried to, to win that game and take it from him. Because, man, if you, the longer you extend that game with, with Sam Darnold at one quarterback and then a true freshman playing in front of 90-plus thousand people on the road, at some point things are going to happen. And it did. He fumbled the ball down in the red zone. They could have won that game. I think Texas gave that game away, to be totally honest. I know that Trey is mocking their moral victories, as we should. But that's not a moral victory. That's a game that they handed to USC, and they should have freaking won it. It would have helped us all. It would have helped the conference. Um, yeah, you don't have to be like a rah-rah Big 12 conference guy to know it helps us. It helps TCU if Texas is able to beat USC. Only other game I wanted to mention, I'm really glad Louisville got beat. I thought he was uh, – uh, I thought Lamar Jackson was a little overrated. I didn't think he should have won the Heisman last year, and they got exposed by Clemson. So I, I was I was just fine with that. You know anything else that you guys saw from the games this weekend that are that are worth noting before we start to sign off here? Uh, one other team, a little south of here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh and three. <laughs> oh, and three. <laughs> Great. 
Yeah, they. It was great to see them lose. That was actually they did better than I thought they were going to against Duke. But uh, yeah, good to see them lose. Also, think it's not to switch topics on you, but LSU was nice to see them get beat down. Um, oh yeah. I don't know, man. Just based on, I know it's really early in the season, but to me, I think just this is one man's opinion, but it it looks like to me Clemson one, Oklahoma two, Alabama three, Oklahoma State four. To me, those are the four best teams in the country right now, and I I think those four are a little bit separated from everybody else, in my opinion. I agree with that. I think Clemson is number one, Oklahoma's number two, Bama and Oklahoma State. I, I I don't disagree with that at all. I think Penn State's a little overrated. I don't think they're as good as everybody says. I put them in the same boat as USC. But it's good to see some of those teams that are just ranked by default get exposed. LSU is still ranked. They got to be 37-7 to against Mississippi State, and they're still ranked. I, I like seeing them get beat. There's no reason that so they, should be, they should be ranked. Yeah, speaking of being ranked when you shouldn't, look, I like Florida State having played one game, which they lost, and they're ranked like 11th. So, yes. uh, and then Miami has played one game, which they won, and I think they're 12th or 10th, or they're up there, right around there. It's like, I mean, I know you don't want to just throw them off the map because the hurricane, you know, caused them to be able to not be able to have those games, but you can't, they still can't be that highly ranked, especially if you lose your only game and everyone else has played three and won three. And now you, so it's like three and oh, three and oh, three and oh, oh, and one. What is that? Ugh. Yeah, I agree. That's frustrating. I agree. That's frustrating. Well, the frogs are 15 in one poll, 16 in the other. If we beat Oklahoma State, I figure we're going to shoot up to, you know, top 10. Of course, we won't be ahead of Florida State because they got the one game they played and they lost. But, you know, we are, we are teed up to be able to rise up the polls this week to really shoot up the polls. If we can win this game, which I think we all acknowledge is a big challenge, is an uphill climb. If we win this, we put ourselves in the driver's seat for a showdown with Oklahoma and a potential rematch with Oklahoma. So if we're able to win this game, we put ourselves in, in that in that conversation that we know will be in the conversation in November about the getting into the Big 12 title game, which I really think is an outside shot goal that we should have as a program this season, is to get to November and be in a chance to be planned to get into the Big 12 title game. Because I think Oklahoma is going to roll everybody, and they're going to put ourselves in there. So... We'll we'll see what happens. Hopefully, we can get a big W. Well, anything else before we wrap up, guys? Uh, we've had we've had a couple of technical glitches this uh, this show. I apologize for that. We're still learning some new software. But anything else you guys want to share before we uh, sign off here? I'm good. Good, good, good. Well, hopefully, we'll all be back on here next week celebrating a big win in Stillwater as the Frogs go up to take on Oklahoma State. It's a good luck this week, guys. We would love for you guys to bring home a win for the program. So as always, I'm Jeff Mitchell, and I want to thank for Trey, I want to thank Trey and Jeremy and Daniel for being here on here with us this evening. And thank you so much for listening to the Frogs. I'm a man. I'm 40. <laughs>